I love movies. Gosh, I love movies. Here we go. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Grindhouse Podcast with Dave and Matt. And for those of you who on this Friday afternoon happen to be following our social media and following us on Facebook, we are streaming live. So if you guys don't follow us on Facebook, go to our channel. Uh, if you don't catch it live, obviously we'll save the recording. You can see what we look like. This is the first ever time that we have recorded an episode, episode 60, live in the same room. That's right. Because we, you know, we're normally very, very far apart. Uh, hey, Sam. Hey, hey, Sam. Yeah, normally, yeah, Sam just said hi. So yeah, so normally I'm in Los Angeles. Although lately I've been in Atlanta, and Matt is always here in Austin, Texas. As you can see, I am home for Matt's wedding. Uh, we have Lone Star, of course, and we are ready to go with today's podcast. And Matt, have you had the opportunity to see the new Candyman trailer? I, I saw it, but I watched it on my phone, which uh, I try not to do that, you know, when it's yeah. like a movie related thing, because you don't really get much. And I didn't even turn it sideways to get the full screen. So, well, it, I, it, it's one of those, it's, it, it's not showing much, right? But there's right. a lot of really cool hints in it that this could be really, I mean, it's being produced by Jordan Peele and um, a lot of, there's a big buzz around it, which I'm kind of a little bit surprised, but having seen the trailer, the teaser trailer, I can I can see why there is some excitement behind it. A, there's a uh, a trusted name behind the production of it. Yep. Um, it seems like I, I don't know yet if it's going to be some version of a uh, reboot or some sort of sequel reboot, kind of you know picking up the story with new fresh faces. I'm not sure if Tony Todd's in it. There are some rumors that he is, but either way. Uh, it's it's a movie that's generating a lot of excitement, and one of the reasons why I bring that up is because February is a month that we celebrate women in horror. Okay. And the new Candyman is being directed by Nia DaCosta, who is a female director, uh, sort of up and coming. She's done some producing. She has done a few shorts. I think she did a feature. And but this is like her big sort of movie foray in horror. So there's a lot of excitement around her and around this new movie. And I thought, what better thing to do then, um, on at towards the end of the month of celebrating women in horror, than to create our own sort of Mount Rushmore of women who have been involved in horror or thriller or scary movies in some sort. Because, you know, I don't know if this is sort of resonates with you, but it seems like there's this misconception that horror is a very male-centric genre. Uh, yeah, I could see that. Uh, at least the monsters and the, the villains are usually male, but, uh, I don't know, uh, a term that's gained a lot of popularity is like final girl. Like that's a, right, a thing, right. like, you know, so, so often the, 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 the protagonists in horror films uh, end up being female. Right. Um, and there's obviously there's all kinds of different types of horror movies. We've talked about that, you know, in episodes past. But generally speaking, it is a central female protagonist that defeats the bad guy, which is usually male. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's strange that this this uh, misnomer that horror is like a, a dude's genre has been created because it's actually, in many instances, a genre that has always celebrated women as heroes and as strong, round characters within it. Obviously, not every single genre. I'm looking at you, 80s. 
But in in a lot of instances, women are the ones who overcome evil, which is perpetrated by men. And um, and the female audience actually makes up more than half of all horror movie audiences. Now, there there is a theory that that might just be because like men are dragging their dates. I don't to... think that's the case. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. I, I think, think so that um, some might say that, but yeah, that's no, sure. definitely not the case. And listen, you know, we we've always talked about like. What what is it? What, what one of the things about movies that is so interesting and so compelling is that movies allow us to ex- uh, like exercise our fears and our anxieties, right? Yeah. Um, if you uh, in our modern society where you know we don't have the the normal dangers that our ancestors would have had, right? Right. We don't have a dinosaurs chasing after us, saber toothed tigers, or the missing link. We live in a pretty docile environment, so through movies, we're able to get that sense of danger, that sense of excitement. Yeah. And so, in a world where, unfortunately, there are some real male villains that are are that you know, and you know, in the news today, or I guess a couple of days ago, Harvey Weinstein was found guilty of rape charges, and he's going to prison for life. Yeah, he's he's a yeah, he's definitely a monster. Uh, and and in cinema, so it's it's kind of a weird thing that uh, sometimes on the on the other side of the camera, uh, the horrors are are even worse. Uh, well, than, that's, than the... yeah, exactly. So I could understand why a large portion of the audience would be those who are looking to find some sort of catharticness, like catharsis, through watching these horror movies. Right? Like it's not going to be Freddy Krueger, but through that you can imagine overcoming that danger, and maybe that gives you some sort of cathartic feeling when you have to deal with real villains in the world. Hmm. I don't know. I, I heard uh, Eli Roth once said that um, when uh, you make the uh, the victims of horror films uh, female, that, to make them women, uh, that, that it's a little more, uh, makes the audience a little more squeamish, a little harder to take. So, mm. so that, that might be also why uh, so many horror films have a, you know, a female protagonist and stuff. Could be. It kind of um, makes it, it makes, you know, because when you watch a film, you, you kind of put yourself in the, the place of the, um, the person on the screen. Right, the, right. The star, you know, and uh, the lead role. And uh, so I think that's, that can be a way to make um, at least uh, a certain kind of male viewer feel a little more vulnerable in the, sure. in the film. Because I, I, I know I have a thing sometimes when I'm watching horror films where it's like, I feel like I, you know, I could just fight my way out of the situation sure, or, you sure. know, like, oh, yeah, that monster better not try that on me. It's stupid, but you know what I mean? Uh, like, for example, uh, the Saw films. Right. Uh, I have this real, like, um, th- this thing where I feel like I could take any of those buzz, what is his name? Uh, Jigsaws. Jigsaw, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like I could take too, his... Too Saw, too serious. Yeah. I feel like I could, I could get out of that machine, you know, I, there's no way that strap is strong enough or that gear you know right right <laughs> like, well you're I could you, break out you of also that, have an but... engineering background so you might yeah. you might be able to you know take that apart but, but i think by you know by putting people in the situation who have like a smaller body type and not you know it, it, it makes uh it, it makes the viewers feel like they're um they're more vulnerable to the monster sure. i guess uh, is that well that and, and hopefully also it helps give you the perspective that that women deal with daily. And I think that one of the things that horror movies in particular have have the ability to do is maybe offer some perspective that we don't normally identify with. 
Okay. You know, you talk about really like seeing ourselves from the perspective of the lead character. Yeah. But um, maybe in that, you know, hour and a half to two hours, we kind of understand for some small sliver of time what it would feel like to be in a vulnerable position at least. Uh, when you should consider it, like you should consider it, is um, when you're that other person in the parking lot uh, with the right. You know, that, that's, that's the thing. Like uh, I think about that sometimes. You know, when I'm walking, you know, out downtown or something, and it's just me and like some woman twenty steps ahead of me walking in the same right. direction. It's like, you know, and I, I tend to let the beard go and get the neck beard look, and the you know, of passion <laughs> just burning no, out no, from underneath that, your just, collar. More of like a plume coming away from the neck, you know. Well, where, there's, just, where there's fire, yeah, there's smoke. The, the hair gets a little messy, and you're maybe you're wearing like that old army jacket that you like because it's just kind of cool and beaten up. But you you realize you look, you might not look like someone you'd want to have walking behind you, you know. And, sure, sure, sure. And there you are, and you're you're uh, you're scaring someone just by your mere existence, you know. And like that's that's something that you should, men should consider. Hundred percent. You know, don't be weird. You know, just like like try to. I don't know. Uh, try not to stress people out because, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, sometimes just our, our mere presence, we, you know, some of us are, are really big and, and uh, don't have the best grooming, grooming habits. And, and maybe it's, <laughs> I don't know. Well, th- that's that's one of the things that I think is so fascinating about horror and why it really excites me to talk about it is that it, maybe above every other genre, has the ability to give you perspective that you might not normally get. Yeah. You know, and um, because this month, this month of February, we are celebrating women in horror. I thought it might be really fun to do our Mount Rushmore of women in horror. Now we can we can keep it to four right. people. We can break the rules. It's, it's you know it's a Friday afternoon. We're drinking Lone Star. We can do whatever we want. But I thought we would highlight. We would put a spotlight on some really important women who. Make this genre that many of us, if you're listening, love so good and so rich and so able to give us these new perspectives that we can then uh, apply to our normal lives. That sounds good to me. So I wanted to start off with um, Deborah Hill. I don't know if you're familiar with that name. No, I don't. If you listen to the podcast, you know that John Carpenter is a huge influence on me. Um, Halloween, The Fog, uh, Assault on Precinct 13, like Prince of Darkness, probably my favorite horror movie of all time. I go on and on and on. But the woman behind all those masterpieces is Deborah Hill. Deborah Hill was the producer of Halloween and many of John Carpenter's films. And in fact, if if you've read up on the original Halloween at all, there were three different people who played the shape within the film. Uh, One... The, the main actor and then also the art director. And for one scene and one scene only, Deborah Hill put the outfit and the mask on. So there's a scene where the, I forget exactly, but we're kind of pulling out from the house and you see Michael Myers on a, on a porch. And that one scene, he might seem a little smaller than usual. Uh-huh. That's Deborah Hill. Wow. Okay. But uh, you just think about all those classic films that were done and, you know, especially Halloween and how much that influenced the genre, right? Yes. Um, you know, I don't know if without a Halloween, you would have had a Nightmare on Elm Street or certainly a Friday the 13th. And at least not, in, you know, it invented in many ways or at least it elevated in many ways the slasher genre. And part of that success came from Deborah Hill and her influence and her champion and her managing those productions. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. she did a great job. Yeah, a lot of people don't, you know, the director is always the one who gets the most credit, but it's the producers who really are behind the scenes making sure that all those elements that the director has to play with are available for them. And um, so you got to imagine what the horror genre would look like without the influence of Halloween. And equal to John Carpenter, I think we have to give Deborah Hill a tip of the hat. She um, unfortunately passed away a few years back from cancer. But I think that the influence that she's had over this genre cannot be understated. And same with... uh... Going back to Halloween, that that movie has another uh, you know standout from that. Absolutely, that Jamie Lee Curtis, fantastic. Yeah, who was just uh, the, the the first? I got I I guess the first final girl. I don't know. I mean, like it was. Um, she you know she kind of set up the the archetype, I guess, as yeah. being like uh, this person in the film who's just a little smarter than the others, a little more capable, a little more careful. Uh, you know, it's. You you kind of feel like she's the she is the one that's going to be the survivor, you know. And um, I think it's uh, it's it's a yeah that that tradition is carried on like throughout the eighties and nineties where you, you can just you can tell from the beginning. I mean, not not just because they get more scenes, but and they're obviously the lead. But like, uh, yeah, they always kind of put these uh, characters that are just just a little uh, edgier, a little more capable, you know. Well, and not only that, but of course she ha- she comes from horror royalty. Her mom being Janet Lee from Psycho. That's right. So, you know, it's a nice little Easter egg for those of you. Uh, there's actually a couple of different Easter eggs. Not only is Jamie Lee Curtis, obviously the daughter of Janet Lee, who is uh, the star of Psycho, or at least the, you know, one of the stars of Psycho, but um, Dr. Sam Loomis from Halloween is based on, uh, I think his name is actually Sam Loomis as well in Psycho. Is it Donald Pleasant's character? No, oh, okay. He's named after the doctor from Psycho as well. Same last name. Huh. All right. Yeah. So you know, again, fantastic, absolutely, and and not only in the original ones, uh, you know, the original Halloween one and two, but also in the most recent one from David Gordon Green. I mean, I think that they were able to take. Now, Jimmy Lee Curse has come back before. You know, H two O was okay. Yeah. Very much of its yeah. time. Um, Resurrection sucked, but um, the new Halloween, just aptly titled Halloween, was great because it really, I thought it did an awesome job. It's very relevant, right? So she's the final girl from Halloween in 1979, Uh but now she's an older lady dealing with PTSD. Right. Someone who has, I mean, imagine going through this trauma, right? And so I thought they did a really good job and she did a really good job with her characterization of taking her character from the original movie and applying it to several decades later. Like, what what kind of a person would you be at that point? And I thought the reality behind it, and I thought the execution of how she portrayed herself was really... Um, I thought it was really in keeping with the times. She, was, she, she maintained her strength and amplified it in some ways. Uh-huh. But also embedded a reality of of trauma that she's experienced, and and the sort of the the reaction to that. Yeah, that, and that was cool because like uh, a lot of films will have uh, they'll, they'll do a thing with that kind of writing where they'll have it where uh, she, she'll become the monster right, afterwards. Right, right. Like, what, what's a film that did that? I, I think uh, I think the Saw films actually did that. Yeah, like, they one also, of his victims becomes the killer later. I think they also, uh, uh, in later Halloween sequels, when they switch to 
when they switched to her her daughter was it <laughs> yeah. Her daughter? yeah you know they, they were sort of leading you down the path that young jamie would become like michael myers i forget which sequel it was maybe four or five they went down a weird path there was weird irish cult stuff at the end yeah but um yeah you're right yeah you, you they 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 it's it, no, you know what they they did that in the uh, the 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 Rob Zombie Halloween, didn't they? Did they sort of end with um, her character sort of in an insane asylum? I didn't watch Rob Zombie's Halloween. You didn't watch any of it either. <laughs> no, no. But you're you're a Rob Zombie fan. I am, but eh, remakes, you know, I don't really always watch. Listen, them. <laughs> I, I I'm I'm with you on that, and yeah. I know I know this is gonna be very controversial, but I liked both of Rob Zombie's Halloweens. I thought that they. Uh, you know, they did a different spin on it. Yeah. And what more can you ask for it? If you're going to do a remake, you know, we're talking about, you know, Candyman earlier being directed by Nia DaCosta. Like, she's doing her own spin on it. And again, we don't know if this is a true sequel or sort of a quasi-sequel reboot. Yeah. But um, I thought, you know, I thought that those those movies did a good job of sort of reimagining and re-envisioning what Halloween could look like. If you were coming from the perspective of like a carny redneck rock and roller. Well, speaking of Rob Zombie, uh, is so it, would there be room for someone like Sherry Moon Zombie on your I, monument? Like, I, would, think what, what do you think I think we should definitely put a spotlight on her. I, yeah. mean, I think this Mount Rushmore is going to be pretty full. Because <laughs> why not? Maybe it's maybe there's four heads on Mount Rushmore, but there's also like some bronze statues in yeah, the park. Totally and, you know, and yeah, plaques and bronze statues and monuments in the park. I think and she's stuff. super underrated. I kind of feel like she only plays one character, but um, it's but it's like her no, okay, Rob Zombie has learned to write for that character sure, really well, but, so it always works. But if you take like say Baby Firefly, right, yeah, and yeah. then you compare her character from um, Lords of Salem, pretty similar. You, you don't think, think so? so? Well, no. yeah, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Like it's it, it, yeah, definitely the Lords of Salem person's a lot more uh believable not psychotic you know like right, sure, right. like yeah uh baby flyer firefly is a total psychopath and a monster but um uh no i i think there's still like a little bit of this um of the the same personality okay uh like in the mannerisms and the, just the kind of the playfulness of her um that but it but it that's what i'm saying like rob zombie knows how to write for her cuz yeah, it's course. like uh, that was a believable character making her like a radio uh, like a radio show host or something, you know, and that, that was like, yeah, I could see her being, you know, kind of having that behavior, being kind of bratty, you know, but uh, once things start going and, and she's taken into this whole crazy world of satanic resurrection and possession and all that stuff, she did really well. And Well, not only that, look, there are, Danny Trejo has built a career being Danny Trejo. That's a good point. Yeah, exactly. You know? So why why not uh, Sherry Moon Zombie? Yeah, it's just like, do you do you want a character like Danny Trejo's characters in your movie? Probably do. So you just, you yeah, just you put them in there. Yeah, yeah, she's excellent. Yeah, um, I'd like to, I wish it maybe be cool to see her in other projects, not just Rob Zombie projects, because he really believes in her. And like, I mean... The uh, what was the, the most recent one? Three from Hell. Did you see it? Yeah, I liked that. Yeah, one. and I thought she did a great job. It was cool, like seeing her as a a much more mature version of this character. You know, She's a lot really more weathered, evolved, a lot more experienced. Uh, I mean, weathered in like the Clint Eastwood like high plains drifter right. sense. Yeah, there was something where it was you you could tell she would had a lot more you know uh, pain and suffering with the, her years in prison, all that stuff. So it's it was a slightly fractured psyche, but also a more dominant personality than maybe. 
a little bit a little bit of that that little girl playfulness that she exhibited in the certainly the first one if not the second one yeah was a little stripped away what you had was a slightly slightly more fractured but also slightly more hardened character right yeah. a little bit more um in control of her own destiny especially with her spoilers father passing you know yeah like she, she yeah it wasn't just pure chaos there was like a bit of a a calculating outlaw that she was presenting and it it was believable it was interesting right. you know and I, I think she's getting a little more mature you know and the lines in her face and the her you know she's got kind of more of an athletic physique now and it's just like you know it's kind of like a you know older sometimes sometimes people when they get a little older they get more into you know more physical yoga stuff like that yeah, she, right, she sure. had that kind of strength about her now and man i don't know i thought it was cool it was like I'd like to see her in more projects, not just Rob Zombie stuff. Yeah. See what she could do, man. Because she's got, yeah, there's a meanness to her now. It's also, awesome. I think she has that charisma. She has that it factor. And again, I know that in horror, Rob Zombie and his sort of his sort of band of merry folks is sort of controversial. But um, Lords of Salem is great. I, I mean, I, I think that's one of the better of his movies. I think it's right up there in that sort of hall of weird when we talk about like... Um, you know, Tusk, or we talk about, uh, what was the movie we talked about a couple of days ago that we just really liked? The Greasy Strangler. The Greasy Strangler. But there was another movie. No, we you haven't about. seen The Greasy Strangler yet. No, I haven't. Yeah. Uh, a Dark what you, Song. What are you waiting for, man? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, dark, A Dark Song, I think, is the one you were thinking of. No, there's something. Oh, was, the Gretel and Hansel. Well, you saw that. Yeah, I saw yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mentioned earlier that Halloween has some references to Psycho. In yeah. uh, the character of Dr. Samuel Loomis. Another movie that had a reference to uh, Loomis was Billy Loomis. And that was in The Scream. The movies that came out in the 90s. And so okay. the next sort of uh, person I'd like to put a spotlight on in our Mount Rushmore of Horror is someone I've had the pleasure of, of working with. And whom I consider not only a colleague but a friend. And that's Kathy Conrad. Who was the producer of The Scream movies. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, okay. Now, you talk about, again, working with a horror legend in Wes Craven, yeah. but also working for a true monster in, well, less Harvey, but more Bob Weinstein, right? Yes. Coming up as a woman in the 90s, trying to, you know, protect a vision against this, in this very male-dominated, you know, culture and, and um, you know, career path. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of elements of Scream that people don't know were being fought on from the studio, like The Mask. The yeah. mask very easily could have been something else. You know, uh, the hiring of Wes Craven. No, well, that mask, was that like a thing before Scream? Like, was that the common Halloween I mask? I think it was a generic it ghost was? mask. Yeah, yeah. I always wondered that because, like, I, that's the first time I've ever seen it. But then it was everywhere. And it obviously was not something that had to be licensed by the movie. So I started thinking, you know, is this something like those, you know, those, uh, those every once in a while scheming horror films? They're just like... Those cheap two dollar uh, clear, ones. yeah, the clear plastic masks that have like right, the, the right, makeup right. on them. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Every once in a while, I'll see someone put that, and they're they're not meant to be creepy, but they're just they, totally they but definitely are though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So exactly, it was one of those sort of generic costumes that they found, and they they bought a whole bunch, and that was the one everyone gravitated towards. And um, I don't want to misrepresent the story, but I know she was telling me that there was a, a big infight, you know, in the studio, thinking like the mask looked dumb or looked silly. Okay. You know, and I and I've, if I remember the story correctly, it was it basically came down to them saying and her leading the charge saying like, just watch the first the first day of shooting, and then and then if if it's not working, we're reshooting. This was the uh, Drew Barrymore scene, 
And once they shot that sequence and they saw it and they saw the murder of it, then they were all in. You know, but again, a woman championed that. Can you imagine Scream with any other type of mask? It just wouldn't have worked the same way. Yeah. There was something sort of campy about that mask that made it scary. In the same way that uh, the Michael Myers mask was just um, Captain Kirk bleached, right? That's right. There's something kind of like, in its simplicity, made it scary because it it gave, it, it it washed away any personality from the killer, and it made it that much more eerie, almost like it was some sort of primordial being of death. All right. So in in your uh, women in horror national park Mount Rushmore thing placards uh, what does Drew Barrymore get you know Ooh. Firestarter yes. Scream yeah Donnie Darko right is that uh, horror it's horror I would say Donnie horror Darko is a horror adjacent, film yeah. yeah Frank the Bunny is pretty creepy pretty scary yeah no she's great and and if you think about that think about the roles that she played she played a child in Firestarter yeah she was a teenager in Scream whether or not she was actually a teenager in Scream she was was she supposed to be a teenager though? Yeah, they're supposed to all be in high school. I believe. Oh, okay. I thought she was like maybe a college kid visiting her parents. No, no, no. I think she's no because I think remember she she had previously dated Stu. Oh, okay. okay. And then and then she had dumped him. So like she was in whatever senior in high school. And then in Donnie Darko, she's the she's the teacher. The teacher, yeah, she's right? A, she's one of the teachers. Yeah. yeah so so spanning several generations of filmmaking. Yeah. And being sort of a constant figure. Yeah, she was great. I mean, again, I, I if if Drew Mary if Drew Barrymore doesn't nail that that death scene, that opening death scene in Scream, so much changes. And you know, the '90s version of horror was very like meta. It was sort of it was less dark in some ways. It was more self referential, but Again, without that, the slasher genre is probably buried in parody by that point. So, just then, I, just just now, I thought of a project that I would like to see Sherry Moon Zombie sort of. Uh, it's it's become Scream Six. No, it's this has become sort of like a, a vacation home slash retirement home for horror people All and, right. and and Touch three B movie actors and eighties actors, nineties actors. Um, but that I would like, I would like to see her move on to uh, American Horror Story. Oh, she would be series. great in that. She, just, she'd fit right in. And that reminds me. You know, um, Macaulay Culkin's going to be in the new season. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. He's pretty cool. Sarah Paulson. That's where I was going with this. Yes. I, I was going to say, uh, maybe equal on your monument. You could have, uh, Sarah Paulson and Jessica Lang, uh, together there because of the, I, I mean, I know they're in other horror movies, but like all I think of them now is when, when I, is, is American Horror Story. Yeah, and well, I wish it, Jessica Lange would return to that. Man, I wish she would come back. But, to that. but you know what's great? I mean, you know, like American Horror Story and I have a very, a very on and off relationship. Yes, you know, she's like that partner that you really want to make work, but you just know it's not going to work. But occasionally they do nice things. You know, the, like Colt was an amazing season. Yep, but the last couple were not. So I, I couldn't even watch. Uh, what was it, 1984? Uh, yeah, I got like three episodes. Yeah, I couldn't. And, and, I just couldn't do it. But yeah, um, Sarah Paulson is always an anchor in that, and I think she wasn't in 1984, was she? I don't know. Well, at least she wasn't <laughs> in the episodes we watched. Yeah, I, I think I think her presence was sorely, sorely missed, as well as Evan Peters and Macaulay Culkin is just like such a strange fellow, you know. And oh, yeah. I think he's going to be able to bring a really interesting dynamic to that season. I want. Do you know what they're doing? No clue. Hmm. No clue. I, it feels be? like it should be a home invasion, right? 
If you're going to cast Macaulay Culkin. Oh, my God. How I great see. would that be? <laughs> if, like, the whole thing is sort of based around a home invasion, like the Purge or, like, a, um, what's a, what's the Silent Night, Deadly Night, something along those lines, you know? Yes, and a uh, 40-year-old man um, is in his home alone, maybe, and he's got to set up some traps. What if he's the murderer? What if he's the one invading the home? Or what if he's... He's still home alone, but it's it's reverse where it's children, like oh. like maybe children of the corn kind of oh, thing. Oh yeah, okay. And so he's like uh, got to set all these mischievous traps. Yeah, right. Okay. Because he doesn't want to hurt the kids, so he sets a uh, mousetrap style. What if he just things to, <laughs> to catch them? <laughs> I don't know. What if he just? What if he's just like the? Um, what if he's just like a Drew Barrymore type character, like? He gets killed in the first ten minutes of the season, and then like, oh, they better not never see him again. They better not do that. <laughs> Don't tease us with him, and then yank him out right away. You, you know what? Uh, this reminds me. There was this YouTube series a little while back that was called Home Alone with Blood. Did okay, you, did you ever see that? No. It's a uh, basically it's it's a, like a special effects artist added special effects to Home Alone to um, express how serious and da- and dangerous the the it would have actually been. Pr- yeah. So he would have killed those guys. Exactly. Just about everything is like deadly. Like there's a part where um, Macaulay Culkin is up on a second floor of, a, I think it's his home alone too. Uh, lost, lost in New York. No, he's throwing bricks off the oh, roof geez. and they're hitting Daniel Stern it in, would have like in the head. Blown his head up. Yeah. And so it's the, basically, it's the same footage uh, from the film, but every time a brick hits him, there's like blood splattering out. Oh, and uh, yeah, do you ever, do you ever yeah. see uh you saw, um, not hot, yeah, hot fuzz. Hot fuzz, yes. Where they drop the big, uh, the big piece of uh, church off the steeple or whatever. That's how I imagine that actually would have occurred if you're dropping a brick from a tall New York skyscraper. Yeah, th- I think that man would have died right there, and the boy would have been in a lot of trouble. Probably would have been charged with a uh, murder as an adult. Yeah, fourteen year old, and then hopefully, hopefully, a psychiatric evaluation because something was going on with that kid. You feel man. like was, you learned that he was torturing animals this whole time. You didn't even know about this. I wouldn't doubt it. The I tra- mean, the trauma from being left. What if for Home Alone two, you you start to realize that Kevin has had a, a psychiatric break because he was left. He was abandoned by his parents, and the, the trauma from the first movie has scarred him, and he becomes like a a mass murderer where he he goes around and he, he's maybe Kevin. Uh, what was it, Kevin McAllister? Yeah, McAllister. Maybe Kevin yeah. McAllister is Saw. I maybe I I could. We're we're getting into some like YouTube territory right now, though, where we Pretty just you know the, movie theories. Kevin McAllister is Saw, but but uh, no, I think those those are films. Uh, I mean, that kid could his we know his telephone worked. He could have called nine one one. He could have called the police right. at any moment. But instead, he chose to uh, set up a series of weird traps uh, using the resources of his uh, wealthy parents' home and uh, just injure these men men severely uh, and just right. really soften them up before finally getting the police involved. And really, when you think about it, isn't this just an analogy for how the upper class like uh, tortures the poor, <laughs> impoverished, just trying to survive? Uh, these men... These lower class men who have been downtrodden by society are just trying to get some bread to eat, support their families. No, they're not. And this upper class Aryan wet dream is torturing them with his Legos and his paint cans and his his torches. 
Uh, there might be something there. Yeah, you, you may be onto something. Everything is so stupid according to me. <laughs> okay, well, moving on. Um, we've been we've been chatting a lot of comedy lately. We're cracking jokes about horror. Okay. So I thought I mean, this was a tough one, but I guess we could we could showcase all of them. But um, it's Elvira. Elvira talk is about, wonderful. Talking um, about joke yes. making, you know, taking the piss out of horror. She's so great. Like her movie Macabre was was a, such an excellent thing and again it was like this she was a go-go dancer like a, like a show showgirl or go-go dancer briefly had worked with Elvis uh-huh. um, she moves to Los Angeles and they have this idea for this little this little program on a local station and she took this character and she infused her wit and her humor and a, a healthy dose of cheekiness along with a really epic horror mullet to create an icon that opened the door, I think, for, you know, uh, Mystery Science Theater, um, Rift Tracks, all yeah, these different, yeah, all these different programmings that sort of take these B movies and crack jokes on them. Like, maybe there was someone before her, and, and obviously she borrowed heavily from Vampira and from Morticia Adams, but... Yeah, for the look, definitely. For the yeah. look, but like, she took it all, and she, you never felt like she was... You never felt like she was embarrassed about doing it. Yeah. But she kind of did this gothic valley girl thing and who was a little ditzy and who was kind of like the character thought she was too good for what she was doing. But you never got the idea that Cassandra Peterson thought she was too good for what she was doing. And that's so endearing, right? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. It was a, it was like a, a witty character that was um, uh, it, it was the. Yeah, the 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 outfit was uh, more revealing than the average, you know, TV outfit. Excellent. But but uh, that was not it was it it felt like it wasn't so much intended to be like a um, for, for the guys kind of no. sex appeal thing. It was more of like a this is a vampire outfit. You know, well, this not even that, like but a, she used again. This is like the this is how great she was. She she took the the sort of the the, the archetype of this horror mistress, right, and she turned it on its head. So she used like this low plummeting top to use her breast and her cleavage as as jokes, you know, as punchlines, yeah, yeah. as an opportunity to, to crack wise on a on not only the movies that she's watching, these B movies that she's watching, but also herself and the role that she would play as the sort of quote unquote eye candy in the sort of male dominant society. So she was making sort of this ironic statement about what her role was and everything using her body as an uh, as a as a the ability to, to make statements about it right right she's awesome fantastic all right well who else you got you must have just a couple more now, yeah we gotta have a um, we got a ton more well mary shelley the writer yeah from back in the day 19 years old wrote frankenstein that's pretty awesome and you think about you know what horror is today and its origins with the sort of classic monsters a young 19-year-old woman who writes this, you know, one of the best pieces of literature, much less horror, of all time, doing so as a barely a teenager. Yeah, it's incredible. And to think of um, one of the scariest monster names ever, a monster called right. Frankenstein. Well, the monster that... was the monster. Yeah. And the doctor was the Frankenstein. <laughs> but, but you're right. The true monster in that story is... The evil scientist. Oh, 
Oh, let's see what it you is, did it there. Is yes. Good point. Frankenstein is the monster, and yes. and, and the, the the monster is the victim. He absolutely was. He didn't ask for any of no, that. No, he didn't ask for any of that. You know, I actually, uh, I think I might have mentioned this. To you. I got a chance when uh, Ophelia and I were traveling Europe to visit the real Frankenstein's castle. It's outside of Frankfurt, the re- Germany. There's a real Frankenstein's castle. Yeah, so Mary Shelley was inspired to write her story based on this castle outside of Frankfurt. And oh. there was an alchemist. Uh, I don't remember the names right now. But right. he had sort of been kicked out of several different areas. But he had sort of um, embedded himself in the owner of this castle. And he'd been promising to turn like lead into gold, you know, and so he kind of got himself in, in um, ingrained in that in that castle. Huh. But there was rumors that he was performing these weird experiments on dead bodies, right? As part of his like science is weird alchemy. His alchemy, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're uh if you're a person who lived in that area and you know what this strange castle where there's this weird scientist that's uh doing all these experiments on the dead, I think he was eventually caught for grave robbing and and Eesh. banished. But yeah, so a lot of the the origin of uh, and the inspiration of Frankenstein came from real events. And that castle, you can just walk up to it. There's not even an entrance fee. You just walk up. It's not huge. Right. But um, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool to think about, like, this guy was sort of trying to tell this lord or whatever, like, hey, let me keep funding my science experiments and I'll eventually figure out how to turn lead into gold. You know, that is one thing that's always made me very jealous of our European friends that they they have castles there like they, they don't live in them they don't have castles but like there's castles we don't we don't have right. castles in america we don't i mean you might see like a forts maybe old farmhouse that was made out of stone so it hasn't completely fallen down you know right, but right, uh right. yeah there's forts i guess but fortnight you know uh yeah every two weeks there's a fortnight uh four score and but we, we don't have castles, is my point. No. And, and I wish we did, because I'd like yeah. to go and uh, uh, drive around them. Uh, I live in Because they're, they're kind of in the way, uh, I think. They, they build roads, and they have to like would you, move them would around you, the okay. castle. Would and... you, if, <laughs> if in Texas you found out there was a castle somewhere, would you go live in it for uh, a fortnight? What, like how does this work? I'm I'm like squatting like illegal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you you can like no, well, it doesn't I, even have I mean, to be illegal. Like I think if someone says would come and, no, no. Yeah. If someone oh. says you can stay in the castle for a fortnight, and, yes. and you can and whatever you can carry on your back is what you have. Would you stay in a castle? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, start a little fire maybe. Can I get some, uh, some electricity ghosts? in there? No. Nope. Oh, well. whatever you can carry on your back. Ooh. So I mean, yeah, that, like a big, a giant, yeah. You can well, take is this, a big is this for money or something? I mean, eh, this, just personal test. I'm just saying because there's going to be a point where the laptop battery dies and the yeah. cell phone battery dies, and you have a hard time doing the podcast. Then what am I going to do? Two weeks, man. Hang out with ghosts. Go- ghosts. Right, right. Frankenstein. There are no ghosts. Are there not? You decide. I'm a ghost. Any any other female sort of uh, influences on horror that you'd like to highlight? I have one more. If you have any. What, well, I want to hear what you got. Um, so another person that I've had the opportunity to work with, uh, and that's Guinevere Turner, but also the director, she wrote, uh, Guinevere Turner wrote American Psycho. But I also want to highlight Mary Heron, who was the director of American Psycho. Okay. And why this is so important to me, and again, is American Psycho horror, I would say it falls pretty neatly, even though it's satire. There's clearly some horror. It's a mass murder. What? Well. Is it? 
No. Nah, yeah. Can we spoil American Psycho? I is that okay? Spoilers. We don't yeah. know. <laughs> no, we know. I think we know. Do we? His name's pretty ambiguous. He's like a. He's just like an idiot. He's like a poser. He's like uh, a, like a it's weirdo. Up to interpretation. I think he, you know who I think I think he killed one homeless person. We don't know that. That no, that's my theory. Oh, that's my, your theory? my theory is yeah. By the end of the film, the only actual victim of this guy is one homeless man. I I I, I actually think that um, he did murder all those people. And the reason why I think it's important that he murdered all those people is that the book and the movie is a satire of commercialism in the 80s, right? Okay. And so if it's all in his head, then there's no real there's no real message there. Yeah, there is. But I mean there is, but but like if he actually murdered those people and the people around him were just so self-absorbed, so caught up in Reaganistic America, I think that's a lot more powerful message that they're so enamored with uh, commercialism and clothing and appearances that they don't even notice him dragging dead bodies around because it's in a really nice bag. And that's all they see that they have so that the culture has so deep become so dehumanized that we don't even notice beyond the label on the clothing. We don't notice a person wearing the label. See, I, I think that the message is more that, they're all doing that. They're all going around fantasizing about murdering well, each other, and then, because they're all just absolutely miserable people, and they're all you know having these fantasies and obsessions, and you know, oh, if I could do what I want, you know, and, and they all see themselves. Each one of those people, like in his office, you know, his colleagues, they all see themselves right, right. as these like su- super important uh, Adonises, you know, and 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 so the only difference is with him is he cracked just enough to believe that some of his fantasies were real okay. and feel guilty yeah, about maybe. them, and, and he just went a little too far. But I think that, that I think, is the message, is, is that, like, all of this uh, affluence and uh, appearance, you know, that they put on and stuff, uh, is that they're actually very poor inside, you know, because they're just, like, they hate everything. So, I mean, he's... His fantasy about killing Paul when he sees his business right, card Paul is better. Adam. Yeah, yeah, you know stuff like that. It's just like, like those. And I love that. I mean, that scene's amazing. She she wrote such a great scene because it's just like the viewer can't see any difference with these business right. cards, <laughs> but they there's a world of difference to these guys. Well, and that's the it's amazing incredible. part. And that's where you got to give a lot of credit to both Mary Heron and Guinevere Turner because you know the book when the book came out, it was very much labeled as misogynistic. For, Obvious reasons. Right? Okay, yeah. The, the lead character doing all these atrocities towards women. Um, it a lot of people read the book and they felt like it was really glorifying the violence against yeah. women. Yeah. So for two women to take on that project and champion it, because at one point, um, you know, again we talked about like the scream mask and like what would the scream mask have looked like if Kathy hadn't fought for that mask, right? Or if she hadn't fought for like Wes Craven as the director. There was the studio was looking to hire Leonardo DiCaprio as um, Patrick Bateman, which hmm. this is Leo coming off of like Titanic and, and like maybe I don't even think he'd done the beach yet because right I yeah. think the reason he didn't do American Psycho was because he did the beach. So this is this is Leo off of Titanic. Like, could you imagine him as Patrick Bateman over Christian Bell? I can't. I can't actually imagine that. Like, yeah, like I don't know how de- that would have gone. Like the dedication that Christian Bell had to like transform his body and to really embody the role. And this was something that Mary Heron like really championed. And so when Leo was attached, I think she left the project. Yeah. And then I don't remember who was coming in to replace her. Um, 
But I know that eventually what occurred was she was brought back to the project and then Christian Bell was brought back to the project. And I think that what you got was just this one of my favorite films of all time. I thought they did just a great job of adapting the, the source material. It's a pretty good movie. And they kept it really true to the, the, the intent of it. And I think they actually, in some ways, elevated it so that we can have this discussion as to whether or not what happened in the, the events of the movie were in Patrick Bateman's head or they were real. I mean, obviously, there's some parts that feel over the top. You know, the explosion of the cop car when he shoots it, the yeah. ATM saying, feed me the kitten. But at the same time, it's like they did it in such a way that you're really unsure the whole way through whether or not it was in all in his head, somewhat in his head, or completely real. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's like good art. It's up to the interpreter, up to the viewer. Which is the which is the best thing about art. So, uh, you know, let's let's as a as oh, you know what? I want to give I want to give a shout out to someone who's a bit more contemporary. Okay, but I think has done a really good job. Um, less in making horror movies and more in maintaining a horror community. And that is Diana Prince, Darcy the Mill Girl, from the current Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs. Oh, yeah. Diana Prince is awesome. I mean, she's she's obviously a huge horror fan. Yep. She knows her shit, man. You learn so much by just watching that show, all her insight and stuff. Well, not only that. And she's like, cool. She's like a really cool person. She's really cool. She's... um. You know, again, it, almost in the same way that like Elvira sort of recognized what her role was, what she was being hired for, and took that to a, you know took that obvious sort of a vi- you know visualness and used it as a comedic uh, trait, right? Yeah. Diana Prince realizes that traditionally the male girl on the Joe Bob Briggs shows is hired for her attractiveness, and she takes that and she takes her adult performance past. And she doesn't hide from it, and she doesn't ignore it. She kind of pulls it to the forefront, and she's she comes across as a very liberated, a very confident, a very um, progressive representative for horror. And then if you just follow her on Twitter, which I know you're you're not really on often, yeah, she does a great job of trying to get people to. Um, sometimes the Joe Bob character will will rile up people's feathers. You know, uh-huh. I think she does a really excellent job of of adding perspective, and she really. It really feels like she's coming from a position of, hey, guys, we all love horror. Let's all be positive in this community. Yeah, yeah, she's awesome. And, uh, she, I mean, watching Joe Bob Briggs' uh, uh, last drive-in with her, um, those sequences are always hilarious. I mean, she's always doing – she's always up to something. It's right. just kind of like – and you could tell she doesn't really – you know, consult with Joe Bob. No. And she just kind of does her own thing. And he's just like, all right, this is happening now. She and loves Halloween three. Yeah. 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 Which right. deserves some love. Who did, who did on the hollow, on the Halloween uh, one, who did she dress up as? Tom uh, Atkins. Yeah, Tom Atkins. Right. Yeah. yeah that's right. It was excellent. Yeah. He's the, he's the director. Of no, the he was the, uh, I think he's the lead in Halloween three. He's got the mustache. He's a mustache. Oh guy. yeah. 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 He's yes. That's right. Yeah, I just remember she comes out with this flannel and this gray wig and a mustache. But of course, it's super low buttoned and like... (laughs) That's funny. It's amazing. It just adds another level of humor to it, you know, and and instills some youth in that show and keeps it really fun. And again, like, I follow her on Twitter and she's just always positive, you know? I think she she had 
dressed as like a pumpkin or something. Yeah, and right. Joe Bob started this whole like Halloween costumes are supposed to be scary. A pumpkin ain't supposed to be a thing. So then she comes yeah, right. out as Todd Atkins. And yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool. That's right. Yeah, yeah and, and again, they're a good good pair of those two, man. Yeah, and yeah. again, like sometimes we talk about Twitter and how it can be just a really negative hellscape. And I think that you know, whenever you see someone who's trying to unite a, a community in a positive way, like because it's not just what happens on the screen; it's what happens, you know, with the rest of the time. It's the community of horror lovers that come together that really makes this genre very special. Well. This is true, and um, if this community were to go to your monument park, I think they would have a pretty good time. Is there is there so well. anybody else you need to add to this park, or uh, uh, well, should we I, just encourage the audience to start thinking of other names? To I, of course, we encourage you to think of names that we may have forgotten. Obviously, there's tons Plenty of, of yeah. actresses yeah. that we could have named. You know, of course, um, we just tried to highlight a few that we felt had the had the maybe the strongest or the most immediate influence on horror as a genre. But yes. Of course, this is a community, right? We're a family. And so tell us if we forgot any names. Uh, come up with your own Mount Rushmore, your own monument park of, of female horror greats. Because without women's influence in the horror community and the horror genre, we wouldn't have this beautiful, wonderful film uh, historical genre that has just been so important decade after decade after decade within the annals of film. Yeah, so we're so we've given you the names and the uh, the context, and so what we need is, uh, and the whole reason for this episode is, if anybody out there is good with uh, 3D modeling and 3D design, uh, that kind of thing, um, world building, maybe you're a game designer or something like that. We need you to go ahead and make that uh, that that women in horror monument park, yes, uh, like a, yeah, like a virtual reality version of it, because we want to visit it. That's what this is all yeah. about. We want to see that Mount Rushmore thing and the bronze statues and read the plaques. Uh, and, and if you could, you know, if you've been to like, um, uh, what's, what's the big telescope in LA? The, the, the uh, Griffith park, if you've been to Griffith park, you, you learn a lot. It's like every exhibit has like little, uh, cards on it that you can read. We need something like that. We want to spend yeah. like at least four or five hours in this park when we come to visit it. So, uh, please do that. We're going to be both be buying a virtual reality headset soon. Yes. Can we have- as soon as they go back on sale, there's, there's a bit of an issue with the factories in China right now with the mm. coronavirus. They're all kind of shut down. And That's why we drink, uh, out, but, yeah, we're doing our own kind of virtual reality right now, but, but yeah, as soon as that, those Chinese factories are back up and the coronavirus is all cured and everybody's back to work making VR headsets and sending them to America. Uh, you got a couple months probably. We want to go visit um, Dave's female horror monument, monument park. park. And uh, is that close to our horror? Uh, didn't we have a horror Hollywood Walk of Fame once? I think we did. I think we should combine yeah. all of these. Yeah, go ahead and just put them all in the same same thing. I I think it's going to be a big hit. Yes, and um, uh, make sure to have vegan snacks. Well, it's virtual reality. Virtual Dave, vegan so snacks. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and or, or or if they are made from uh, animal byproducts, they need to be uh, fantasy animals that right. don't exist. No, don't I, harm any. I think Dave, he's a vegan, but I think he's allowed to eat like unicorns and um, yeah, it's, it's not you know, real. trolls. As long as they stuff. give, as long as they give consent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. As long as they want to be eaten. That's right. Like that's the right. like the pig in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. At the uh, restaurant of the Earth, you know what I'm talking about. Let's just eat human. Let's just eat the rich. This, have you ever seen this? The only meat I eat is rich. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Douglas Adams was the genius who invented the uh, the pig that wants to be eaten. So he, he's a, he's an intelligent pig that lives his whole life trying to become more delicious. 
Would, weird, would you eat that pig as a vegan if he's actually coming to you and talking to you, telling you how much you're going to enjoy his? Uh, no, I don't think I don't <laughs> think I don't think Mr. Sophia would appreciate that. <laughs> uh, so we talked about Diana Prince and Joe Bob Briggs and uh, their last drive in show a second ago. And that is on the channel called Shudder. And Shutter, I uh, Shudder's got some great horror films. And I watched one this week. Oh, and I'd, like to, I'd like to give a little review. Well, if, hold, uh, we before before you give the review, let's give a review to women in horror. And I think there's only one answer. Five tusks. Five tusks. <laughs> you guys are awesome. <laughs> All right. Cheers to that. Cheers to women in horror. Okay. Yes, absolutely. And this is a film called Bliss, and uh, it stars Dora Madison, a woman in horror. Uh, yes. And it's directed by and written by Joe Begos, who I have not seen anything of his before. If I have, I wasn't aware of it. But it's a it's a it's an interesting film about an artist dealing with deadlines and pressure and drug use and the party life. And um, she kind of gets mixed in with some uh, some dangerous people who may have uh, 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 altered her in a way that we're all pretty familiar with, but I'm not going to give that, that, that spoiler away. But um, it's, it's, a, it's a neat movie because it, it's kind of like a, it felt like a 90s film. It was like, a, like the drug use, the nightlife, the alt-rock, you know, heavy rock and music, metal. I don't, like say, some, I don't want to say metal because it's not exactly metal. But, those look know. like some cool color schemes in the uh, poster. I thought some fuchsias and purples and blacks oh, yeah. and burgundies. Well, no, yeah, like, and that's, that's one of the cool things about the film is like she, she plays an artist. Uh, Dora Madison plays the artist named Desi. Prince. Desi, oh. I can't. Yes, Desi, Desi. I can't remember the full name, but Desi is what her friends call her. And uh, yeah, she's an angry, pissed-off painter that that's in high demand, and you know she makes a lot of money, has a nice New York apartment, and all that. But like at night, she goes out and does a lot of drugs. And her favorite drug is a drug called Bliss, which I guess is a, <laughs> a mixture of cocaine and DMT, according to the film. Wow. I don't know if that's a real thing, but <laughs> don't try that. But that's what she prefers. And if you do, let us know. And so as her life starts to get more and more weird and fall apart, she's not sure if it's the bliss or if something's going on with oh, these, sure. so this, she, this so, new crowd she's hanging out so with. So she's not sure if doing DMT and coke is a bad idea? Well, I mean, no, it's like shit's getting crazy for Desi. And so she doesn't know if it's, is it the drugs or is it, or is it what I actually think is happening, which is like some crazy demon shit. Mm. And uh, she's trying to figure all this out and at the same time make her deadlines and it was pretty cool. I don't know if I'd call it like an accurate depiction of what it's like to be a professional artist or hell, maybe it is. I, I don't know. Like you kind of forget that like, you know, there's when, when you're an artist and you're working, it's just kind of like a fun thing that you do. That's the, sure. the you know, you got that cool job that you're happy about. But like, yeah, you, you kind of forget that there are also these other artists out there that like take it way more seriously and like do drugs and are all edgy and pissed off and like is that a real thing? Though? You know, they, have you met have you met artists like that? I don't know. Like, do they actually exist? Like these people? I mean, because this this woman is like, you know, my art is like serious stuff, man. Like she's she's got that like Nirvana music video edge. Like, right. I, I'm t- and I, I go to Nirvana not to date myself, but I'm telling you, this film feels like I, '90s, dude. I it think feels, we dated ourselves a bunch. Of times well, I, on the it show. feels like a '90s film. I mean, it's got that. It's like it's in the same universe as The Crow, basically, <laughs> where where everybody's just like, I'm gonna drink all day and flip off everyone and swallow bullets. I don't know. It's silly. It's hacky, but it's got some got some fun stuff in it. Um, it's also, I mean, it's not a huge deal, but George Went from Cheers is in this film, and that That's means awesome. a lot to me. Every time I see George Went, I'm just like, yay! Good so, on him. He's still yeah, working. So he's in it. Uh, but it, yeah, if you're uh, if you if you have Shutter, you might have seen this film keep popping up in the featured 
section and uh, go ahead and give it a watch, man. I liked it a lot. It was fun. I'm going to give it uh, a three of five tusks. Okay. Um, All right. You'd recommend just because it, it. Yeah. Just because it was like, it was fun. It was fast. It had cool, cool music and the characters were, like I said, they're they're obnoxious '90s edgy rock people, and just yes. you don't see enough of that anymore. And no, it was it was pretty back. fun. They bring back edgy '90s yeah. angst. I mean, and it, the Fortnite. It does take place in the modern day, like they're text messaging and oh. shit, but like they don't know it's the modern day yet. They think it's still leather jackets and earrings and 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 '90s and or maybe that. Well, I don't know. You that, that yeah, kind sorry, of does you, describe me. You, you, <laughs> <laughs> it may, you know, maybe it's LA. Vegan, I, I, now I think about it, just just from the. The wardrobe alone, I think it's L.A. Where it might be. Place. I don't think it's New York. <laughs> yeah, it kind of had like a like a dirty city high rise look, but okay. I, I so I was like, oh yeah, obviously, Maybe it's downtown obviously, it's, yeah, I think it might have been. Yeah, okay, cool, that yeah. Makes sense. But yeah, check it out. Uh, it's right. called Bliss, and I gave it a three out of five. And hell, why not watch it? You need to watch something. Why does well watch Bliss? Hey, eh? there you go. There All you right. go. Be blissful. So uh, I, Matt, I have to apologize. I, I fucked up, man. Hmm. Last week was uh, when Jude and I recorded. It was the day before filming, and I forgot to tell people who won in the horror tournament. Oh, okay. All right, we'll catch uh, us up. It was uh, Conan the Barbarian. No, Excellent. wait. Nope. Yes. What? Nope. Was it? Yes. It was Conan the Barbarian, beat uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, and it was uh, Mad Max beating First Blood. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. That Those are good movies. So uh, this week, we had uh, Ong Bak yes. versus... Predator, and we had Kill Bill versus T two. Hmm, this is a tough one. I don't think I can predict this. I, I do think Predator is going to beat Ongbok, but I and I feel that's okay. But uh, God, Ongbok is good. But I just think on popularity alone, ticket sales, Predator is obviously the big. Yeah, one. you know, Ongbok did so well. I, I actually it, it did lose in Predator one. Yeah. But I, I thought it was going to do a little bit better than it did. Um, but again, it has been busy week, and I haven't posted as much as I normally do. Sorry yeah, about that. Um, but sixty-eight to fifteen, Predator won. No, all right. Um, Bach didn't really get a lot of love there, and it's hard. You're going up against Arnold, you know. Yeah. Uh, and Arnold was in the other matchup on the Dave bracket. Uh, Kill Bill versus T2, a slightly. Now closer. this, I am interested in. Yeah, this. Well, you know what's close, funny? The man. first couple of days, Kill Bill tied. They they hit a tie the first yeah. couple of days, but as the week went on, T2 pulled away, eighty-nine to fifty. And Terminator 2 wow. advances. So we have two Arnold classics, Predator and Terminator 2. This is interesting. We could end up with just which, it could just end up being which Arnold film is going to be the winner. It might. You know? I mean, if there is one slide, there will be a dark horse. So uh, this week, again, I will be way more consistent. Uh, we have John Wick versus Conan the Barbarian. Another Arnold Ooh, film. Very different, but yes. Very different. So is it modern, slick? Uh, neon lights shoot them up, or is it swords and sandals and muscles and demons and snakes and priests and mm. Arnold? Rawr. All right. And then uh, in the map bracket, we have Rumble in the Bronx versus Mad Max. Mm. Yeah, both very different films, both with a ton of action, uh, and both films where the stunts were very dangerous and, and very real. So, very interesting that those yeah. two movies are two movies that kind of you know focused on stunt play in a more realistic manner a lot of what you see i mean obviously there was some cg enhancement with mad max but like a lot of what you see is kind of practical oh yeah you just gotta say do you uh, is is it gonna is the winner gonna be karate stunts or car stunts yeah right right just like is it gonna be guns or swords guns or swords so you guys are the ones to the side so uh 
Follow us on Twitter. Or, or no, hey, follow me on Twitter. But follow us on Instagram if you want to be able to vote. If you want to vote every day, uh, let your voice be heard because you, our wonderful family, our wonderful community of Grindhouse listeners, our grinders, it's up to you to decide which is going to be the greatest action film of all time. Hmm. So, Matt, we have time for just one question. All right. And... Questions from the Crypt. Sam B. Blair asks, are there any directors that you'd like to work with that you haven't yet? So I'm going to, because uh, I want to make sure that it's inclusive of you, Matt, I'm going to expand this and say, is there any artist that you've not yet worked with that you would like to work with? Oh, um, yeah. I... Thank you, Sam. Um not for the question. He he just congratulated me for my. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hell yeah, he did. Is there any artist I'd like to work with? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I I don't. The kind of work I do is like I'd have to kind of be a client of theirs or something. I guess. Well, but... what if it was like um? What if it, if it would there be, for example, any um, any artist that if if they could walk into your foundry and say, Matt, I've got this visionary idea. For a horror Mount Rushmore National Park, then I want you to do a sculpture for it. Who would that artist be? Oh, um, well, that, uh, I, well, I was thinking like actually more along the lines of um, if I could maybe make figures of the characters from Grant Morrison's comic books. Oh, that's cool. I would like to do something like that. So like, like if, if Grant walked in and was like, I am I... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, what do you do the Scottish yeah mm-hmm. Matt I need you to make some characters for me I need you to take my comic books and make them into bronze sculptures that's not bad I, yeah. I don't know if I want to but that's what I'm saying I don't know if I want to make bronze sculptures usually with comic books they make those resin statues okay and I, right. yeah I'd like to do some of Grant like the old Morrison school stuff. wax ones do you remember those we used to get like in the uh, amusement parks you could pay like you pay like a I don't know a dollar yeah, and they, not, would, they would they not, would like pour wax out and you get like a rhino yeah that was that was at the San Antonio Zoo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Would you do that? Like if Grant Morrison was like, no, I, I, mean, I want to go old school, Matt. I want to create some wax sculptures of rhinos. a little better than that, I think. But uh, let's let's go ahead and... Okay. Yeah, you can answer the question. So Grant Morrison. All right, cool. Um, so directors, man, there's a lot. Um, I mean, Tim Burton would be awesome to do anything with. Yeah. Um, Chris Nolan. But you know what? Here's my answer. And this is, this is a very real answer. Um... I have two artists that I really, really want to work with in film, specific. Obviously, I get to work with Matt every day, every week on this podcast. So, um, and that would be Jude, who is a director who was has been so instrumental in my career as a producer that I really love to give back, and I'd really like to find a way to work with him as a producer, to him as a director, and help him help his vision be recognized because he's he's very very talented and we talked about this if you listen to last week's podcast how there's like this glass ceiling people start to look at you as like just the numbers guy just the logistics guy they don't think you're a real filmmaker right and it's a real shame because like you see these people who don't have the experience or the talent get these opportunity after opportunity and um you know not because just because he's a friend but because I, i believe in him as a director i'd really like to work with him on that level and then in the same vein, um, Mistress Ophelia, 
who is herself an up-and-coming writer, and she's really talented. You know, and I don't say that just because she's my fiance or, or from bias. Um, there's real magic behind her words. Like she's crafting a couple of stories now that are just so good and so visual. And um, and you know, talking about celebrating women in horror, she's a woman who has a, a very sort of a dark sensibility and a, a, a real innate natural talent to to world build. And um, I'd love to see that showcase i'd like to see that highlighted so that in 10 years some other podcast is doing a celebratory episode on women in horror and her name is mentioned among them that'd be cool yeah yeah Good so luck to her so that's it uh you know sam tell us what artists you'd love to work with uh anyone listening tell us what artists you would love to work with what uh if you were a filmmaker or if you are a filmmaker uh tell us what director you'd like to work with that you haven't yet and um i think we should probably let matt get back to work He's got a big day tomorrow. Yeah, stuff to do. So uh, from Dave and Matt, we want to thank you guys. If you if you watch the, the live feed, if you watch it later, if you watch it today, Sam, obviously, who's been communicating with us. If you're following us on social media, at some point, Matt's going to get back on Twitter. Yeah, maybe. maybe. You should do a tweet today. You should do a tweet right now. Let's put you on the spot. Sam's watching. Do a tweet. Tweet right now, Matt. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, guys. We're out. Adios. You're listening to the Grindhouse Podcast on the Fuck It, We're Doing It Live network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now on Spotify.